Good morning. We continue our trip through the book of Jeremiah. If I was going to be a newspaper person trying to put a headline on this particular section, I would call it consequences to ignoring God. Because Jeremiah is still giving the message that God has ordered him to give. Jeremiah 17, 27 says, But if you do not obey me, keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. Then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortress. And we know why historically that that happened. The people of Israel did not listen to the warnings from Jeremiah. The Babylonians did come. They did defeat them. They did burn the city. They burnt the gates. They destroyed the temple. But to really get a good understanding as to why God is emphasizing the Sabbath, we need to go back to Exodus chapter 20. In verses 8 through 11, we're given that fourth commandment. And the Sabbath day was set aside by God to rest. And God recognized the need we humans have to have that unhurried time of worship and rest each week. And just as one of the commentators that I looked at said, to observe a regular time of rest and worship in our fast-paced world demonstrates how important God is to us. It refreshes our soul. And of course, we have the example of God himself, the creator who rested on the seventh day. And obviously not because God needed any rest, but we as humans needed to have a model and an example to look at. So when we look at the Sabbath, going back to the Jewish tradition, it began on sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. It was a 24-hour period, and it was to be honored by all Jews, whether they were and all their servants and any visiting foreigners. It was considered essential to their faith. But that continued to be a problem. And one of the first uh, transgressions that we're told about that was brought to Moses is a person was found out gathering wood on the Sabbath. And they brought him in because they didn't know exactly what to do with him. And so Moses brought the case to God and he, they were told to stone him to death. It seems like a very harsh penalty for not keeping the Sabbath. But even with that type of a harsh penalty, that was a problem that continued throughout their history. In fact, about 100 years after Jeremiah ceased his ministry, Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to King Xerxes, and learned about the plight of Jerusalem, how the walls hadn't been rebuilt, the gates were still burnt, and managed to get permission to go back and rebuild. We don't have time to go through all of the work that Jeremiah did, but one of the most important things he did was reinstate the reforms. You can find that in chapter 13, where on one of his observations was how the people were very busy in the market on the Sabbath in the city of Jerusalem. It was a booming day for people that wanted to make a profit. And he knew that wasn't right, and he told them, no, we can't be doing this. And basically, he commanded the merchants not to come in and ordered the soldiers to keep the gates closed. But even then, some of the merchants would come and camp outside the gates, and Nehemiah warned them that he was going to lay hands on them if they continued to do this. He didn't want to risk people just ignoring the Sabbath. 
But when you look at the message of Jeremiah, it's really a call to repent and to change and to put God first. That's a call that we hear today and need to hear today. And Jesus makes that same call. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, he's asked about what the greatest commandment is. And he tells them that the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And that the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say that all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. So when we consider the words of Jesus, we can see how Jeremiah's story is really our story. That, that constant battle to have the right priorities. In a book called The Rest of God, written by Mark Buchanan, he has this to say about the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture. And then in the introduction of his book, he states this, I hope to convince you that the Sabbath in the long run is essential to your well-being as food and water. Now that's quite a statement, because food and water are necessary for our very physical survival. And he's saying that that Sabbath rest is essential to our soul survival. He goes on to explain about early in his ministry, he was a pastor, how he was very driven and didn't really do Sabbaths. In fact, he said he went one 40-day period, which he thought was sort of biblical, without taking any time off at all, and was very proud of that. But he then began to realize that that's not the best way to minister. And one of the verses that spoke to him was Matthew 11, 28-30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who... You who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now again, looking at one of the commentators talking about that, they talked about the rest Jesus is promising is love, is healing and peace with God, not the end of all labor. And that a relationship with God changes our labor into something that is spiritually productive and has purpose. Another book that I looked at from Ruth Haley Barton called Sacred Rhythms. And again, Ruth Haley Barton was a Christian in Christian ministry for most of her adult life. And she shared her own hurried schedule. And that how Sundays were really not very restful for her and her family because of all her responsibilities. She then was injured, in fact, uh, she was hit by a car on her bicycle, and because of that injury, had time to focus. And one of the things she started to focus on was the Sabbath rest. And these are just some of the questions she started to process. Does it matter what day of the week we practice the Sabbath? Can I have a floating Sabbath? You know, fitting it in wherever I can in a given week. Did Jesus teach Sabbath keeping as a practice for New Testament Christians? Does the Sabbath have to be a full day, or can it, can it just be an afternoon or an evening? Can I shop or mow the lawn on the Sabbath? How do I know what I should or should not do on the Sabbath? These are all the types of questions that she is rolling through and addresses in her book. And so as we're looking at those questions, I think it's good to look at what Jesus had to say. Because Jesus was not legalistic, like the religious leaders, but he definitely honored the Sabbath. And one of the reasons why the religious leaders hated him and wanted to kill him is because of what he did on the Sabbath. He broke with their traditions. One of the incidents recorded in Matthew chapter 12 
verses 1 through 8, talks about a man with a shriveled hand who's in the temple. Or the synagogue, I should say. Not the temple. And he uses this as an opportunity. And he points out to the people, you know, what does God really desire in the Sabbath? And he quotes from Hosea 6.6. And he desires mercy and not sacrifice. And then he points out in verse 8 of chapter 12 that he's the Lord even of the Sabbath. And, of course, that makes sense because he's the creator, the creator of the Sabbath itself. So he then tells the man with the shriveled hand to get in a place where everybody can see him and then to stretch out his hand. After he asked the crowd, of course, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And he heals the man. And the leaders hated him for that. Another occasion is recorded in Mark chapter 2 where his disciples are going through the grain fields and the disciples are eating grain. And that was permissible. As you went through the fields, I mean, you couldn't just harvest a whole bunch. But it was, in that culture, it was permissible just to pluck some of the heads of grains and eat them if you were hungry. And, of course, this was noticed because Jesus always had people following him. And some of the people following him always wanted to point out what he was doing wrong. And he pointed out to them again that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That, again, he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Again, in Mark chapter 3, the same incident recorded about him asking them a question, is it okay to do good or evil, to save life or kill, before he heals this man and has him stretch out his hand. And in Luke 6, 9, he says the same thing. Do we, should we do good or do evil on the Sabbath? Save life or destroy it? Nobody would answer his question. So he would heal on the Sabbath to point them out what the Sabbath was really about. Then in Luke chapter 13, there's recorded this incident of a woman who was crippled for 18 years. And Jesus heals her. And again, the leaders are upset, and they basically are telling people, come on a different day to be healed. Don't be coming here on the Sabbath to be healed. And Jesus humiliates them by saying, hey, you untie your animals for water and lead them out. And here is a woman who's been bound by Satan for 18 years. How could it be wrong to set her free on the Sabbath? Of course, they had no answer for that. Chapter 14, again, he's asking them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And points out they would pull an animal out of the pit. And humans, of course, are so much more important than animals. And then John chapter 5, there's a man who cannot walk, and he's healed by Jesus on the Sabbath. And he's told to carry his mat. And when the angry leaders confront this man, and he points out, well, the person who healed me told me to do this. And Jesus eventually enters into this dialogue and says, hey, you guys don't get it. Circumcision is supposed to happen on the eighth day. And so when it happens on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it. And this is more important than keeping your tradition. And he heals a blind man on the Sabbath in John chapter 9. And, of course, that creates such a commotion that the man's brought in before the leader several times to try to figure out what's going on. And he's told this guy has to be a sinner because he healed him on the Sabbath. And the man says, hey, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and I can see. God doesn't listen to sinners, but he obviously listened to this man. And for him speaking the truth, he was thrown out. Reading back to a quote from Ruth, Haley Barton, in her book, Sacred Rhythms. This is the challenge she gives about the Sabbath. She says, explore it with delight, as though you and God are learning together how to make the day special for both of you. Then be as intentional about protecting it as you can be. 
But don't become rigid or legalistic about it, which ruins the spirit of the day. He then goes on to point out, first, the heart of the Sabbath is that we cease our work so that we can rest and delight in God and his good's gift. Everything that we might choose to do or not do needs to somehow fit into that purpose of delighting in God. Second, it's important to establish a regular rhythm, if at all possible. And she goes on to point out our human body operates on rhythms of night and day, eating three meals a day, rest and activity. He points out that the restfulness of Sabbath, part of it is just knowing that it's always coming at the same interval. So she really points out the importance of that rhythm with, of setting aside a particular time. Mark Buchanan, again getting back to his book, points out before we can keep the Sabbath, we have to cultivate a Sabbath heart. And then he points out, in his opinion, a Sabbath heart sanctifies time. It's not a ritual, it's a perspective. It's not a shift in circumstances. You'll still have the same job tomorrow, the same problems with your aging parents or wayward children, the same battle looming in your church, but you make a deliberate choice, shift your point of view, and to come at your circumstances from a fresh angle. Again, I think really the Apostle Paul, although he wasn't particularly talking about the Sabbath, captures but these, both of these authors and Jeremiah himself are trying to tell us. That's in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. It starts out, and I'm not going to read the verse or quote it to you, but basically it, it's saying you can't ignore God. Get away with it. You know, if we sow just to doing things our own way to our fleshly nature, we're going to reap a harvest of destruction. But if we sow to the spiritual nature, we're going to reap that spiritual joy. And then in verse 9, he even goes on. I think this is how it applies to the Sabbath. Do not worry in doing good, because at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest. So one of the reasons that the Sabbath is so important to our soul is that we don't become weary. I know personally, when I become weary, I become much more susceptible to giving in to temptation. And temptations don't disappear. Even when you keep a Sabbath, they don't disappear. But it gives you much more ability, at least that's been my experience, to deal with them. Again, Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14, is quoted both by Mark Buchanan and Ruth Haley Barton in their books as they discuss the Sabbath. And again, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to summarize it. They're talking, Isaiah is pointing out if we keep from breaking the Sabbath, and then he says, doing as you please is one of the ways that we break the Sabbath. Not that we can enjoy it. But we honor it by not just going our own way and not doing it as, as we please. And then we find joy. So that Sabbath keeping is a recognition of our own weakness and our own smallness. That we're made from dust. And that we hold our treasures in clay jars. And without proper care, we break. And that's from Mark Buchanan's book. He's quoting, of course, from 2 Corinthians 4-7 about the jars of clay. So it boils down to a choice when we're keeping the Sabbath or not. We get to choose to do things our way or God's way. So we have that freedom. But we don't have the freedom from the consequences of our choice. We really can't ignore God and get away with it. One of the reasons why our world, especially in the Western culture, has so much problems, I think, with anxiety, depression, stress-related illnesses, Simply because we don't rest. 
We don't keep that Sabbath. This is what Ruth Haley Barton says, and that's what I want to close with. I think she summarizes the vantages so well. There's something deeply spiritual about honoring the limitations of our existence as human beings, physical bodies in worlds of time and space. And there's something about being gracious and accepting and gentle with ourselves at least once a week, which enables us to be more gracious and accepting and gentle with others. There's a freedom that comes from being who we are in God and resting in God that eventually enables us to bring something truer to our world than all of our doing. Sabbath keeping helps us to live within our limits. Because on the Sabbath, in many different ways, we allow ourselves to be the creature in the presence of our Creator. To embrace life, to delight in the Lord, are the benefits of Sabbath keeping. But again, if I was going to summarize it, I would simply use that headline You can't ignore God, get away with it. There's always a consequence. So let's focus on the benefits as we strive to keep the Sabbath. You'll pray with me. Father, we do thank you that you've modeled for us a rhythm of rest and activity. Help us, Lord, be willing to embrace it so we can embrace life with you. In Jesus' name.